0: Hello, this is Laurie Kaufman, author of The Lens and the Looker. This is the fourth of eight free installments of The Lens and the Looker, Volume 1 in the Verona Trilogy. To find out how to get all the other installments, go to my website, www.lauriekaufman.com. That's www.lauriecoffman.com. Dot .com enjoy chapter 11 lincoln laughed out loud when he heard the unmistakable sound of a raspberry he knew he was dreaming and thought he was reliving last night's miming of going pole while crouching then the sound became more real he opened his eyes and the dream disappeared it was replaced by the sight of Ugolino relieving himself in a chamber pot about six feet from Lincoln's face. Buongiorno, my sleeping princes, Ugolino rasped cheerfully. Oh, little maruccio such a sweet smile you had on your face. Lincoln's smile turned instantly to a frown. He tried to get up fast, but was stiff from sleeping in the cold. Handsome was in a similar state. Straw had gotten under their clothing, and both scratched at themselves. Ugolino took a handful of straw and gave a perfunctory wipe at his nether regions. He then flicked it out the haymow door and pulled up his shoes. Come on, orphans, come eat before the Signora steals all your food. Lincoln was trying to scratch in places he couldn't reach. I'm itching like there's no tomorrow, he cried. The modern saying, translated into old Italian, sounded quite novel to Ugolino. "'You are very funny, Maruccio. I hope you don't die quick,' he said, going down the ladder. Handsome was ready to go, but Lincoln wasn't. "'Ugly might be able to poe in front of people, but I can't,' Lincoln told Handsome. "'You go ahead.' "'Ah, finally my youngest apprentice arrives.' Agostino della Cappa truly felt in a good mood this morning. Hope, that elusive impulse of late, seemed to be burning brightly in him." "'Soon we shall have figs and olives for repast, and all will be well again,' he said. He looked at Lincoln, staring at the young man's head. Lincoln quickly pulled his lira pipe off. Dust flew up and hair popped out in every direction. The table broke into gales of laughter. "'I saved this for you,' Shimira giggled, putting their shared bowl in front of him. "'It was the same bread and pork as the night before, and a glass of warm water.' "'We had wine in the morning at the last place,' Lincoln said, still whistling whenever he said an S. "'He still thinks he's in the Podesta's palace,' Ugolino joked. "'We do not have wine in this house,' Julietta whispered. Lincoln thought for a second and looked at the master. "'Oh, right.' "'I want wine,' the signora squawked. "'Drink your tea, woman,' the master said, without looking at her. "'You too, Maruccio. Eat, eat.' The youngest apprentice nibbled cautiously at the meat, and especially the bread. Agostino smiled. "'There's cleaning and preparation to get to when you're done.' Then the master said thoughtfully, "'Verona may be just the place for us. We must get to know it and its people well, for nobody in this city makes discs for the eyes. They all come from Florence.' "'I went for a walk last night and met people,' Ugolino offered." "'You weren't out stealing again, were you?' Agostino said, glaring at the ugly apprentice. "'I don't want this house to be known for that.' "'Oh, no, master. In fact, I met a priest and helped him.' "'What?' "'In the street. A Father Lorenzano. He was going to give the last rites to a little girl near the arena. I went with him and helped.' "'How could you help with last rites?' "'I carried the body back to his church.' "'San Francesco El Corso. "'It was a long way outside the old city walls. "'That little girl got awful heavy. "'He even gave me something to eat before I came home.' "'It hadn't looked like the signora was listening, but she piped up. "'He's already eaten today. Give me his porco.' "'Carrying the bambino was hard work,' Ugolino insisted. "'Drink your tea, mamma. Giulietta urged.' "'Did you see him reading his Bible?' the master asked. "'Could he read easily?' "'Oh, he had a hard time, master. "'Squinting and moving his head around, "'Ugolino held his palms out in front of him "'and bobbed his head as if he were trying to focus. "'Good, good. "'Maybe we can sell him some disk for the eyes.' "'Oh, I get it, master. "'That's very good,' Ugolino said.' We must get to know all the priests and all the merchants who can read and keep ledgers. That is how I became famous in Florence. So, the master said, standing up and clapping his hands, today we start our journey back to solvency. Girls, clean and put away the utensils. Ugolino, fix that shelf on the wall so the girls can put the kitchenware on it. New apprentices, gather up all the old straw and remove it from the house. Put it in a pile out front for now. "'Carmella, as the boys take away the straw, you sweep the floor. "'Then boys bring fresh straw from the barn. "'We will have a clean home today, for cleanliness is next to godliness.' "'Not long after that, the air was heavy with dust. "'Master, <clears throat> couldn't we open the shutters?' Shamira asked, coughing. "'See, father, it will be much cheerier that way,' Julietta said. "'The sun is coming out, and it looks like it will be a warm day.' The master looked at his radiant daughter, and a smile came to his lips. "'Perhaps we've been living in a dark place in our minds, as well as our home. See, let's open the shutters.' Julietta's mother, awakened from her stupor. "'No! Don't let the sun in! Michael likes it dark. His halo and wings show up better.' "'Quiet, woman,' the master said. "'The sun will make you feel better, mistress,' Handsome said, smiling.' The senora seemed taken aback by this servant's audacity. She grabbed Julietta's arm. Take me to bed, she pleaded, while Julietta tended to her mother upstairs. Work proceeded on the main floor. The landlord nailed the window shut when the building became vacant, the master said. I'll fix it, Ugolino said, grabbing the fireplace poker and banging the shutters with it. This will get the windows open quick. "'Idioto! Stop!' the master cursed. "'You're breaking the frame!' He sent Ugolino upstairs to get an iron pry bar and hammer from the stash of precious tools hidden under his bed. Agostino methodically pulled the nails out one by one, extracting each carefully and putting them in a neat pile for reuse later. Once the floor had been cleared of the old straw, it was ready for its fresh layer— but when Master de la Capa went outside to tell Handsome and Lincoln to start bringing in the fresh straw, they were nowhere to be seen. The pile of dirty straw was no longer at the front of the house, either. "'I told them to just throw that old straw all over the street,' Ugolino tattled. "'It's useless stuff,' I said. "'The wind will blow it away. "'They've probably wasted time and took it back to the barn. "'Stupid orphans. "'Don't you worry, Master. "'I'll teach them good.' But when Agostino looked up the lane, he didn't see his workers by the barn. He did hear laughter and familiar voices across the street, behind the house where the tailors lived. He followed the sounds and found the teenagers standing with the tailor and his wife in a small, well-tended vegetable garden. There was also a compost pile, on which straw had obviously just been added. "'Look, master,' Ugolino tattled again, "'those stupid orphans gave away our straw to the merda throwing tailor!' The tailor looked up and greeted the master. Ah, buongiorno. You must be Master Della Cappa. Welcome to Verona, he said, extending his hand. Buongiorno, Agostino said, cautiously. Beautiful garden. Ah, see, si, see, si, my little garden gives me much joy and food. Why are my apprentices and kitchen girl here? We're supposed to be cleaning house. See, si, master de la capa i inquired about the old straw from romero when he said it was to be thrown away i offered my rot pile look master hansom said master satori and his wife Nuca, traded us some vegetables from their garden in exchange for the hay oh no romero bruno corrected not in trade in christian kindness and sharing And we must bring in this crop before the frost. There's far too much to waste. All three teens had their hands full of vegetables. There were beets, leeks, cabbage, and turnips, even a few pears, cherries, and pomegranates from nicely pruned trees. Agostina's mouth watered at the sight of the fresh vegetables. A few handfuls of vegetables for a big pile of straw? Humph, Ugolino chided, still lobbying for favor. Shut up. "'We be nice to our neighbors, and they be nice to us.' The master smiled courteously at the Satori's. "'I think I had more future with a drunk master,' Ugolino grumbled under his breath. The master's heavy hand met the back of Ugolino's head. Hi. Chapter 12 Ugolino was still grumbling to himself as they crossed the road back to their house. His agitation increased as he saw the master smiling broadly at the three orphans, their arms full of food. In the house, the master actually laughed with joy as he said, Children, put our neighbor's gifts on the table. Look, daughter, see the wonderful produce our neighbors shared with us. Julietta got up from tending the fire and smiled warmly at the sight. Lincoln and Shamira put what they had on the table. Handsome handed his bounty, several large pomegranates, to Julietta. "'Oh, how wonderful, father!' Julietta accepted the fruit from Handsome without meeting his gaze. But Ugolino noticed Julietta's fingers tarry just a second more than necessary against Handsome's hand when they exchanged the red seed-laden fruit. He watched her hold the fruit to her face, drinking in its sweet scent. "'We have not seen its like for some time.' "'Girls, girls!' a still enthusiastic master said. Wash this food after you finish dusting and cleaning. Set up Carmella's sleep area and then go to the market. I will give you enough dinero to buy provisions to get us through a few days. This will give you time to learn the market and where to get the best bargains. Yes, Father, Julietta answered. But perhaps Carmella and I could continue to share a bed. With winter coming, it would make the nights warmer, and she is teaching me to read. The Master was amazed. Read? Carmella, you know how to read? Um, Father Aaron taught me, Shemira answered. Agostino crossed himself. Ugolino bit his lip and clenched his fists at this further bad luck. Romero and Ugolino, the master continued, take this canvas sheet and use it to carry fresh straw from the barn. Maruccio, as youngest, it's your job to make sure there's always firewood by the hearth. Now go, go, all of you. Ugolino was silent all the way to the barn, but when they were in the barn's lower area, he spied something in the corner that could not escape comment. "Hey, what's the chamber pot doing down here?' "'I put it there,' Lincoln answered. "'You?' Ugolino said with a scowl. He stepped toward the smaller boy, challenging him with his superior size. "'Yes,' Lincoln lisped without fear. "'That way we don't have to watch each other crap, and we won't be throwing it out the window where we walk.' Don't you tell me what to do, Ugolino began raising his hand. Ugolino felt Handsome's hand on his shoulder. Peace, Handsome said, smiling broadly at Ugolino's face. It's a good idea, brother. Look at your boot. You just walked through your own merda. The master would be some angry if you brought that into his clean house. Ugolino looked at the excrement sticking out from the sole of his ragged boot. But Ugolino felt reluctant to back away from a fight. He made an angry face, but Handsome spoke again. Maruccio, go get the firewood, as the master asked. Lincoln quickly left, and Ugolino watched Handsome quickly climb the ladder, leaving him alone. From up in the loft, Handsome called down. Ugolino, spread the canvas sheet on the floor. We can toss the straw on top of it. I was just going to say that, Ugolino said defensively. From inside his little lamp, hidden in the shoulder of Handsome's tunic, Pan watched Handsome and Ugolino carry fresh straw to the house. After a half a dozen loads, the A.I. whispered to Handsome, "'If Mistress Shamira is going to the market, it is best for me to be transferred to her. I could gather intelligence of the town.' Pan watched Handsome step up to Shamira and relay this to her. He saw Shamira nod, then speak to Handsome. "'Oh, Romero, there's a loose thread on your shoulder. Let me mend it before it opens wider.' Pan saw Shamira looking straight at him as she undid the thread that held his brass lamp in Handsome's tunic. Now hidden in the dark of Shamira's closed hand, Pan heard the sound of her soft shoes on steps. The next thing the AI knew, he was in Julietta's bedroom. Shamira began sewing him into the hem of her veil. Clever young mistress, Pan whispered into her ear. Clever and cunning. He saw Shamira smile. When Shamira and Pan returned downstairs, Ugolino and Lincoln were bringing in a load of straw together. You keep telling me to stop letting hay fall, Ugolino, Lincoln complained, but I'm not spilling it. You are. Don't talk back to me, orphan. I'm your boss, Ugolino said. And stop calling me orphan. That's what you are. The master broke up the argument. Peace, both of you. He's not listening to what I say, master, Ugolino complained. He probably is, the master answered. But what you're saying probably doesn't make sense. You, Maruccio, don't argue with Ugolino. It gets you nowhere. See? The master supports me, Ugolino said smugly. Agostino shook his head. Romero, Ugolino, spread the straw and then go get one more load before we set up the workshop. Maruccio, take back this bowl to Master Satori and thank him for the coal. Then come right back. Girls, here are some coins. "'Off to the market with you both. We'll all be hungry in a few hours.' As they left the house, Lincoln muttered to Shemira, "'I'm hungry now!' Chapter 13 Shemira liked Julietta. She liked her sweet and earnest nature, and sleeping together in the old creaky bed was like having a sister, something she had read of in books but never experienced.' They had giggled the night away, combed each other's hair in the morning, and scrubbed themselves with hot water from the kitchen cauldron. Walking to the market, Julietta carried a basket and a string bag, similar to what she had in the first history camp. Shimira carried a heavy canvas bag. "'Do you know the way?' Shimira asked. "'Up this avenue to the old wall. Turn right till we come to the gates. Turn left through the big opening. The piazza should be right in front of us. The market's supposed to be around a big Roman arena.' Shamira remembered now. When she had visited Verona on that school trip, there was this amazing structure built over 2,500 years before she was born—the arena. She hadn't paid too much attention to the history lesson the guides had given. At the time, she was a junior hard case in training. But even then, her artistic mind couldn't help but notice the huge interlocking stones and arches of the load-bearing monument. She had sketched a bit of it on her encyclopedia slate board with a fine stylus— but when the tour guide commented positively on it, she quickly told the board to erase. As the girls walked, they had to keep their eyes down to avoid stepping in the waste and filth that covered the street. Shamira was nervous during her first encounter with a medieval crowd. Aside from their outward grimy appearance, she also noticed the lack of teeth among them. Many looked totally defeated, while others had a high energy and a certain joie de vivre she had rarely experienced. And the smell... All Verona seemed to be swimming in an ocean of odour, and there were so many children, all running around like packs of marauding beasts, exuding an irresistible primal force. As the girls reached the end of their street, the high red-brick city wall loomed above them. Looking both left and right, Shimira analysed the perspective of the wall, its crenellated battlements and the occasional square-brick tower. The structure was a mass of red that seemed to stretch out as far as the eye could see. Pan spoke into her ear. Walls and towers of this design do not exist anymore in modern Verona. Back in this time period, Verona was known as the City of Forty-Nine Towers. In our time, most of them are gone, replaced in the sixteenth century with cannon-resistant fortifications. Freaky, Shamira commented out loud. Since, like zippy, the word didn't have a counterpart in ancient or modern Italian, it came out the same. "'Freaky? What does that mean?' Giulietta asked. "'Oh, just an expression from where I come from.' They turned right and walked till the sea of red brick finally ended at a large double-arched opening. This was the entrance to the old Roman part of the city. The arches were made of light-coloured stone blocks.' Between the two arches was a crest with a motif of a ladder carved into it. Above that, a sign, which Shamira read aloud. Bra public square. She touched the subdermal button on her temple to see what would happen. While the scene stayed the same in her head, the writing changed to a language she didn't know. She read it phonetically. Piazza Bra. It is such a blessing to be able to read and learn things quickly. You must be a genioso. Was it only yesterday, Shimira thought, when that word meant something different? Or was it a thousand years ago? Or hence? Carmela, you look deep in thought, Julietta commented. Sorry, Shimira said. I was just thinking about something. They walked through the ornate gates and into the Piazza Bra. It was a large open market with hundreds of stalls and a continual tumult of noise and movement. And in the background, looming up over everything, was the arena. "'Freaky!' Giulietta exclaimed. Chapter 14 The master ran to the stairs and almost pulled his beard out when he saw what was happening. He was so exasperated words wouldn't come out of his mouth. Lincoln and Handsome saw it too. Handsome was horrified. Lincoln began laughing uncontrollably. "'What a freak!' he shouted. "'It's not funny!' Agostino said, finally finding words." Lincoln stopped laughing, but his eyes still bulged at the foolishness. Ugolino was on the stairs. He was carrying a huge, heavy wooden object all by himself. His face was obscured, so he couldn't see where he was going. One foot was out in space, trying to find the next step. "'Stop, Ugolino!" Agostino cried. "'Wait! Wait for some help with that... crash!' "'Ugolino, along with the large object, tripped, stumbled, and then tumbled down the stairs. "'He bounced off the railing and careened backwards, but never let go of his burden. "'My lathe!' the master screamed. "'Ugolino cried. A moment later he was lying on his back, the lathe on top of him. "'Are you all right?' Handsome asked, kneeling down beside the oaf. "'Idioto!' the master shouted. "'Romero, help me get this off of him. Careful!' The front of Ugolino's lira-piped cap had come down over his eyes. As the master pulled the hat away from his face, Ugolino smiled. Hey, master, I saved the day again. The lathe is unbroken. You wouldn't have to save the day if you hadn't ruined it in the first place. Imbecile! You, Maruccio, stop laughing. Help Romero to move this thing. Take care. Take care with it. It is our living. Can you get up? Is your back broken? I can only hope. "'Oh, it takes more than some stairs to keep me down, eh, master? "'See, I'm still as good as new.' "'Ugolino moved in a way that showed he was sorer than he made out, "'but he didn't complain. "'Another blessing. "'Put it over there, boys, by the window. "'Okay, now, go upstairs and get the rest of the equipment, "'and don't drop anything.' "'The master had stored the tools in a small loft "'and in the bedrooms for safekeeping.' Inside the boxes were the tools and supplies which he and Ugolino were able to hide or steal back from the creditors. As the lathe was placed in the main room, Agostino thought how he'd prefer a separate building in which to ply his trade, or at least a separate room. Unfortunately, this was not possible. It didn't take long to assemble all the supplies and tools. There wasn't much. Among a modest assortment of old tools and supplies, there were only fifty-seven blank discs and thirteen bone frames, two of which were broken. Not enough for a master who had six mouths to feed, plus his own. How was he going to get more supplies once they sold the first few spectacles? Who would give him credit, he wondered? Not the old suppliers in Venice or Florence. As the reality of his situation revisited him, so did an unwelcome impulse— He could feel a goblet of wine in his hand and taste the tart liquid running down his throat. Agostino quickly shook off this brief relapse, remembering the promises he made to his father, confessor, and friend, the gifts of money and his own hopes and dreams for the future. The master heard Lincoln say to Handsome, "'This lathe doesn't look like the one in the other shop.' "'Yes, but the principle's the same,' Handsome responded. "'Here's the lap, the spindle, the dop. See, that spot is where the lens has been attached.' "'But it's black, not milky, like the mastic.' The master liked to hear the boys' talking shop. It fed his thin veneer of hope. "'You know of mastic?' he asked. "'It's from a bush's tears,' Lincoln answered quickly. "'It only comes from one island.' "'I see,' the master said, both surprised and appreciative. "'Yes, you are right. At the end of my troubles in Florence, I couldn't afford mastic, so I used pitch and ash.' God willing, one day soon we shall use only the best materials and make the finest discs for the eyes again. This machine looks different from the one we worked on, Hansom repeated. Yes, different shops, cities, craftsmen. We all have our little secrets and don't share them. But in the end, it's all about shaping the glass. Do you think you can learn a new way, work under a different master? Sure, Hansom said. Why couldn't we? The master scowled. Hansom repeated, why couldn't we, Master? Some people can only learn to do a thing in one way. It's sometimes better to start again with someone who knows nothing. Like me, eh, Master? Ugolino piped up. Huh. You might be an exception. Yes, I am an exception, Ugolino said proudly. What's an exception, Master? Lincoln, Handsome, and Agostino burst into laughter. Ugolino looked confused. The master put his hand on the poor fellow's shoulder. Come, boys, I will create the first lens. You all watch, help a little, and then we go from there. Ugolino, heat up the pitch pot and put a lens blank on a stone next to the coals to heat. Sure thing, master. Uh, what's the pitch pot? I'll get it, master, hissed his youngest apprentice, picking up the small cauldron and the steel rod to stir the coal bed. Hey! Ugolino shouted. "'It's okay,' the master assured. "'He found Ugolino a task to keep him quiet and in one place. "'Sitting him on the floor, Agostino gave Ugolino three marked wooden bowls. "'The master took a moment and ground three walnut-sized chunks of pumice "'into different grit sizes. "'He placed the appropriate one in each bowl to show Ugolino what he must imitate. "'Okay, Ugolino, now you work. "'Fill up each bowl to the coarseness of these samples.' Agostino then organized his tools and supplies close to the lathe before he began. This lathe looked more like a spinning wheel, though much sturdier. It consisted of a long bench with two splayed legs at one end and a third single leg at the other. The end with the single leg was narrower, allowing the operator to straddle it. This way, he faced a solid wooden flywheel mounted on two heavy wooden uprights at the wide end, The flywheel was grooved along its circumference, and a loop of hemp cord ran around the wheel and onto the spindle assembly. The right hand of the operator turned a large curved metal crank on the flywheel. The left hand did all the lens shaping. Back in his element, and with a modicum of hope renewed in his heart, Agostino was a good and pleasant teacher. He praised Lincoln on setting the pitch pot in the coals. "'Perfetto!' he commented on seeing how Lincoln even tipped the pot forward to the front of the hearth. This way the opening was easily accessed and not directly above the heat. Then he touched the glass blank Lincoln had set on a stone to be heated by proximity to the fire. "'Watch it, master. It's ouchy." "'Such a funny boy!' the master laughed. "'Such odd sayings!' "'These glass blanks aren't flat like at the last shop we were in,' Hansom added. "'They're partially shaped on one side.' Agostino smiled broadly again, and a feeling of pride and excitement came into his voice. "'Yes, this was my idea. I had a glassmaker pour molten glass into a wooden mould the approximate shape of a lens. This way a lot less filing is needed.' Then he put his finger to his lips and whispered, "'My shop, my secrets. You don't share secrets, eh? But now that I'm gone from Florence, the glassmaker probably makes them for everyone.' Agostino put on a pair of large, round spectacles, securing them to his face with two stained pieces of ribbon. Then he donned a leather cap with long tails that drooped over each ear. Thus attired, he took to his craft. He picked up a hot lens blank with a pair of tongs, scooped out a dollop of the heated pitch with a stick, spread it on the back of the blank, and then carefully attached it to the dop. While it hardened, the master-inspected Ugolino's progress with the grit. Hmm, not bad.' Not bad at all. Look here. In the fine grit there are a few large pieces. You must grind them all properly and not miss one. When the master turned, he was surprised to find Lincoln holding all the files in his hand. Wonderful, Maruccio. You hold those till I need them. You are all earning your food today, he pronounced. Now, boys, watch and learn. As he took his place on the bench, he said, "'We make three strengths of lenses.' We will make the one for old people first, the most strong. From this blank, I must file some glasses first. He held out his hand to Lincoln. Without hesitation, Lincoln handed him the correct rasp. Agostino smiled and held it up to show the others. Then he began turning the wheel. There's no zip, 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 Handsome observed to Lincoln. That's because it's only moving one way, Lincoln answered. Master de la brought the tool in contact with the blank. Glass chips flew, hitting the master's glasses and face. He turned his head away and closed his eyes, letting the shards beat against the leather hood. "'Hey, you're working with your eyes closed,' Lincoln commented, amazed. "'I can feel the curve,' the master said. "'Now hush!' He continued with the file for the better part of a minute until the glass was much reduced. When Agostino did venture to open his eyes, he was pleased to see his newest two apprentices staring intently at what he was doing— He took the finer file from Lincoln and repeated the process. Then he started with the bowls and grit. Several of the bowls were wooden, not brass, but did the same thing. It took close to half an hour to complete the convex side of the lens, and a similar time to finish the flat side. "'There, we have made one lens,' the master said, gently prying the lens off the dop. "'Do you think you could make one, Romero?' "'Maybe not as well or as quickly as you, master, but yes.' "'Okay, then. You make the next lens.' "'Hey!' Ugolino shouted. "'Master, that's not right. I'm the second boss. I should make the next lens.' "'Don't worry, Ugolino," Agostino said in a conciliatory fashion. "'We'll teach you, too. But these boys have a bit of experience. I want to see what they know.' "'But I'm the older apprentice.' "'You're still the oldest and ugliest, and I'm still the master. "'Do as I say,' he said testily.' It's okay, Handsome said. Ugolino can go first. I don't care. Agostino became very angry very quickly. Did you hear what I said? I want to see what you know. Handsome glanced at the scowling Ugolino. The master raised his voice again. Don't look at him. He does what he is told, and so do you. I want to see what skills you have. Can Link, I mean, can Maruccio help me? Chapter 15. Where Shamira found the market at the history camp colourful and interesting, she found the real 1347 Veronian marketplace mind-boggling. It was filthy and unimaginably cruel in Shamira's eyes, but it was fascinating. The multitude of faces, the smells of the animals being made ready for sale, lumbering oxen and donkeys pulling carts, feces lying where it fell, there was the sound of haggling, vendors shouting about their wares, and swarms of ragged children running wild, bumping into people. Julietta pulled Shamira close. "'I must protect Papa's money,' she said, patting the hidden bundle in her robes. "'These children will steal it if we don't take care.' So they proceeded, arm in arm, into the heart of the market, both enthralled and intimidated by its vastness and variety." But above all the cacophony and tumult rose the still stately ruins of the ancient arena. It stood like a backdrop, visible from everywhere. Multi-tiered, like all Roman arenas, many of its upper walls and pillars were missing. Shamira felt many eyes fall upon her and Julietta. Men winked or just stared. Some offered wares, others rude suggestions. They stopped at a vegetable stand, and the proprietor took exception to Julietta's comment about some beets he was trying to sell her— she looked him straight in the eye and said seriously, Let's leave, Carmela. We'll buy our beets elsewhere. When they were back in the aisle, amongst the crowd, the girls began to giggle. Take care, mistress, Pan whispered. A ne'er do well approaches, and he has his eye on you both. We are in danger, Shamira said out loud. Danger? Julietta gasped, pulling Shamira closely. I see a short knife, half hidden in the sleeve of his cassock, Pan continued. I think he's a cut purse. A cut purse? A knife? Shimira said. A knife, Julietta repeated, beginning to panic. Shimira saw him, a walking pile of rags. His whole body was hidden beneath long robes, his face unrecognizable within the shadow of his cowl. Then she saw the hard shape of a rusted blade sticking out from one of the billowing sleeves. As the figure got close, it veered directly toward the girls a bony hand reached out and grabbed Shemira by the arm. She looked down and saw its scaly, cracked skin, bony knuckles, filthy, long, broken nails, and the greatest oddity to Shamira's experience, a missing middle finger. Then, out of the corner of her eye, in the slow motion which is panic, his other hand appeared, the one with the knife. It rose to cut the strap of the heavy canvas bag on Shamira's shoulder. She panicked, and tried to turn and run, foolishly holding on to the empty sack. The robber pulled her back, and the blade scraped her forearm, causing a streak of pain that her privileged flesh had never felt. She finally let go of the sack and screamed in terror. Then she no longer felt the clamp-like hold on her arm, and fell to the ground. Julietta was down by her side. Another strange man shouted after the pile of running rags. "'Run, villain, and let these girls be!' such prayers of young women will be sent to where it's too late for prayers to do any good you escape now but the lord shall pass judgment on you repent shamir's saviour was an old man not much better dressed than the unsuccessful thief he had a bulbous face and piercing eyes his head was covered by a muslin cap from which long curly salt-and-pepper locks escaped he turned and smiled brightly at the two girls Buongiorno," he said, doffing his scruffy cap. His hair sprung out. "'Are you quite all right?' "'Yes,' Signor, Julietta said. "'Thank—' And then she looked at Shemira's tearing eyes, and then down at her arm. "'Carmela, you're cut!' The man was down beside them in a flash, inspecting Shemira's wound. "'The upper skin's been cut from the blow, but not through to the meat below.' Then he reached inside his tunic and pulled out a miraculously clean cloth." he covered the wound with it you will be fine it will only take askance of time come child he said to julietta let us end your companion's communion with the cobblestones Shamira was quickly on her feet and dusted off kind signor you have done us a great service julietta said to the man oh a little excitement is all hey i haven't seen you girls around here before we're new to verona signor my name is Giulietta de la Cappa. My family just moved here from Florence. This is Carmela, our kitchen girl. And you, signor? Ginetto is what I'm called. So, Signorinas, it's the first time in the market for you. That's why you look like two helpless chickens waiting to be plucked. He <laughs> As the initial shock of the attack wore off, Shimira's arm began to throb. She winced. Ginetto re-inspected the wound. THE FLOW OF THE BLEEDING HAS MUCH SLOWED ITS RATE. PRESS THE CLOTH AND IT WILL FULLY ABATE. A FEW TEARS DROPPED FROM SHIMIRA'S EYES. I NEED A DOCTOR AND A DERMAL REGENERATOR. A PHYSICIAN FOR THIS? Pshaw. AND A WHAT? CARMELLA, CALM DOWN, JULIETTA SAID. YES, CALM IS WHAT IS NEEDED, GENETTO SAID. "'Come, girls, I shall help you for a while and show you what's where and where's what, while Carmella nurses her little cut. So see what needs bring you to the market, and I'll direct you to your target,' Julietta giggled. "'We're looking for food to get the family and our apprentices through the day, and when we know the market we shall provision the household properly tomorrow. "'Ah, a plan well thought out.' so where shall we start how about the bread there are many sellers to choose from but let me take you to one you can trust it's a walk away but it's the one for which you will always lust come it's just by san fermo as they began on their way through the market pan said in chimera's ear young mistress i know you are in distress but calm yourself the best you can there's no help to be had it seems we really are on our own. Shemira sniffed and then stood up straight, collecting herself. They started at a bakery, which was a much busier and less friendly place than the one at the history camp, but still it smelled wonderful. Julietta went to buy the darker, cheaper bread, but Janetto stayed her hand. To be successful, sometimes one has to act successful, he said. Shopping didn't take long with Genetto's help. The last stop was at the herbalist stall of Signora Caterina Baroni. Caterina inspected Chimera's arm and put some herbal ointment on the wound. She laughed when she realized the girls were from the same house as Ugolino. "'How is that, ugly, smelly boy?' she asked. "'And how is the tea working for your mother?' Within a minute of the cream's application, Chimera's wound stopped throbbing and felt cool. When the girls finished with Signora Baroni, they looked around and were surprised to find Janetto gone.' When Julietta asked the herb-merchant where he lived so they could thank him properly, she asked, "'Who?' Chapter 16 The master was impressed that the first thing the boys did before starting their own lens was clean up the debris left from his work. Then they attached the new blank. They moved slowly, taking their time to get it properly centred. Handsome sat at the lathe nervously. "'I've not worked on a machine exactly like this before, master.' The one I worked on had a foot treadle. "'How strange!' the master said. Then he took off his leather cap and gave it to Handsome. "'To protect you from the glass,' he said. Handsome started turning the wheel, and as it got up to speed, he tentatively put the file to the glass. Shards sprayed everywhere, and Handsome fumbled about, the file skipping and bumping. Ugolino laughed and jeered at his mistakes. "'I'll get the knack of it, master,' Handsome said. "'I'm used to having two hands to work with.' Say, for this first time, can Maruccio turn the wheel so I can concentrate on grinding? Agostino agreed. Lincoln began turning the wheel, and the boys worked slowly and methodically, as a team, figuring things out step by step. The master nodded, thinking to himself that if the boys weren't very good now, at least they seemed bright enough to learn. He looked over at Ugolino, who had become quiet. The boy was watching his two adversaries closely, his mouth slackened and his eyes drooped. But Agostino smiled when he looked back at his new apprentices, and he sat down and sipped contentedly on his water. He made a silent prayer in appreciation of his new helpers. When the boys got to the third bowl of grit, he saw Hansom inspect it carefully, making sure there were no large pieces hidden within the finer grit. Romero calmly asked the master to reinspect it with him. Together they found a few grains that should be expelled, ones that Ugolino missed. The master looked up at Ugolino and shook his head the ugly apprentice put his head down. A bit later, when Agostino looked back at Ugolino, he seemed to be sitting on the floor and just staring, not out the window and not at anything in particular, but just down at the floor. When the front of the lens was almost finished, the master saw Ugolino snoring quietly. He almost went over to kick him out of habit, but then realized there was nothing he wanted the boy to do, so he just let his sleeping dog lie. Soon, Hansom and Lincoln carefully removed the lens from the dop and offered it to him. He took it in his big hand and inspected the work. The boys stood expectantly awaiting the verdict. Terrible, the master pronounced solemnly, two doing one job. You were slow. The lens is uneven. I could never sell it. The boys stood mute. The master paused, but you show promise, and he smiled. The boys laughed. "'You know,' Lincoln said, "'this place could be very interesting. "'In fact, it's—' "'Zippy,' the master finished. "'All three laughed. Handsome thought how he found this place interesting, too. "'And just as he thought it, "'the object of his interest walked into the house. "'Look who's here,' Agostino said, still laughing. "'Back from the market already.' "'Oh, Papa, you've set your equipment up "'and got everybody working. "'How wonderful!' Just then, Ugolino started to snore. "'Well, almost everyone,' Lincoln said, at which all but Shamira laughed. She was holding her forearm. "'What's wrong?' she—I mean, Carmella,' Handsome asked. "'My arm's cut really bad,' she whined. "'It's hurting again.' "'Carmella was attacked by a man with a knife,' Julietta told them. "'In broad daylight,' Agostino said. "'In the middle of the market?' "'Stabbed!' Handsome exclaimed." With a knife? Lincoln said, horrified. Let me look at it, Agostino demanded. Delicately, like he was working on a fine pair of spectacles, the master's huge, dirty fingers unwrapped the bandage. He carefully separated the herbalist poultice from the skin. The first thing the boys saw was the dark blobs of congealed blood staining the fabric. Handsome winced, and Lincoln looked away. Neither boy had ever seen a wound like this. The worst injury Handsome had endured was a skinned knee or bloody nose, which were healed instantly by his A.I. Both boys had to look away. "'What is wrong with all of you?' the master questioned. "'It's only a small cut. It will be better in a week, and you will hardly be able to see the scar in a year.' "'A scar?' all three teens erupted at once. "'A year?' Shimira added, and she cried even harder. "'Did the thief get your goods, or my money?' Agostino asked." Julieta began to tell him about Gennetto's rescue and how he then took them shopping. Meanwhile, Pan began whispering in Hansom's ear. He leaned over to Shamira, comforting her, but more importantly, to tell her Pan's message. Lincoln also leaned in to hear what was going on. Pan says your wound is not serious and to stop crying, Hansom said quietly. Lincoln nodded in agreement. That's easy for you two to say, Shamira said, pouting. Lincoln bared his teeth at her, exposing his broken tooth. And Pan says we have to act happier around the Della Cappas, continued, and that we should all get together and have a meeting tonight. Shamira pouted for a few more seconds, reflecting while Julietta finished her story. And when Signora Baroni finished tending to Carmella's arm, Julietta said, we looked up and Signor Genetto was not there. It was most strange, Papa. CHAPTER SEVENTEEN Yes, yes, well, dinner will make everyone feel better, the master assured. Girls, prepare the meal. Set the food by the hearth as we're using the table. We will find another table later. Boys, finish the back of the lens. Just then, Ugolino woke up, making a big fuss, stretching and yawning. So, look who wakes up when the food arrives. You, get off your ass and get the girls some firewood. "'That's Maruccio's job, master,' Ugolino complained. "'He's busy finishing a lens with Romero. Now, move your ass. And what are you boys waiting for? Finish the lens. Daughter, stop fawning over Carmela. Make dinner, both of you.' And with that, Agostino had re-established his authority over his domain. He smiled as he sat down on the bench and surveyed his castle. Everyone was working— He especially liked the idea that he had a young man, maybe two, who seemed bright enough to learn to make lenses. He watched as Handsome had his face close to the spinning glass, rasp in hand, carefully grinding it. Then his eyes fell once again to the sorry store of blank lenses. Two knots formed, one on his forehead and one in his stomach. He pondered his options. Search Verona for a glass source? He didn't think there were any here. Order more from Florence or Murano? He still owed money in both places. Besides, his small purse of coins wouldn't stretch that far. Agostino's deep thoughts were interrupted by a shrill, "Ay!" this time from Handsome. Agostino looked up to see the boy spring from his bench and grab his face. Ah, my eye! he screamed again. Agostino was to his feet instantly. He grabbed the boy's arms and pulled them away from his face. Do not rub your eye. Do not rub your eye, he shouted. Daughter, the eye cup, quickly. Julietta mixed some salt and water in the small ceramic cup and rushed to her father. Agostino was forcing Handsome to bend forward. Blink. Blink again. It's only a piece of glass in your eye. It hurts, "'It hurts!' Handsome kept shouting, trying to pull away. But he could not get loose from the master's strong hands. "'I'm going to let go of one of your arms,' Agostino said. "'You cannot reach for your eye with it. You could make it bleed. We must wash it out.' But as soon as Agostino let the arm go, Hansom tried to reach his eye. He felt another vice-like grip on his arm. "'I've got him, master!' Ugolino said, back from getting wood." They walked Handsome, bent over double, to the bench, and lay him face down across it. Then the master took his free hand and put his thumb and forefinger on the top and bottom of the injured eye. Pushing against the socket, he forced the eyelids open. "'Now, daughter!' Julietta was on her knees and looking under at Handsome. She held the cup of salt water tight against his eye. She nodded at her father. The master said, "'Turn him over slowly, Eugolino.' "'Slowly,' I said.' God, this hurts, Handsome thought. He found himself turned over on his back, arched across the bench, still held down by the men and looking up with his one good eye. He saw Julietta holding the cup against his face. The salty water had poured into his eye socket and surrounded the eyeball. The saline solution stung the delicate tissues. Try to blink again, he heard the master say. It will move the liquid around and loosen the glass. Handsome saw Julietta looking intently back at him. She nodded her head slightly to affirm what her father had said hansom blinked a few times again agostino said once more okay now turn him over again this must be a big piece hansom was now back on his stomach looking down you must loosen the glass a little more blink blink take the cup away as the cup was removed a splash of salt water drained from his eye and onto the floor "'Romero, is it dislodged?' "'I can still feel it, but at the front of my eye.' "'Daughter, see if you can clear it out. We'll hold him still.' Julietta lay down on the straw and got her face under Hansom's. He looked down at her with his one good eye. Another drop of the salt water dripped from his face onto her lips. She smiled, and the tip of her tongue came out to remove the liquid. Then she reached out slowly with both hands to try to clear the eye.' He pulled back involuntarily, but was held tight from above. "Don't worry, Romero," she said gently. "I've done this many times for papa." She separated his eyelids again, pursed her lips, and breathed slowly as she searched. "Carmella, hand me a clean bit of cloth rolled to a fine point," she said. Hanson was quiet now, watching Julietta. "Ah, I see it," she said softly. Noticing he was watching her intently, she met his gaze and smiled. Then she slowly inserted the tiny cloth instrument. "'I think that got it,' she said quietly. "'Let me look some more.' The two stared into each other's eyes at close quarters, their four chaperones close by. "'And?' came the master's impatient voice. "'We're done,' Julietta said, smiling. "'He should rinse his eye again.' Up on his feet the world was now moving slowly for Handsome. He could still feel his eye itching but what he really wanted was to continue looking at Julietta. Far away in his consciousness, he heard the master laughing and patting him on the back. "'Welcome to the lens-grinding business, my boy.' "'I held them good, didn't I, master?' Ugolino was saying. As Julietta walked away, Handsome saw her turn her head sideways, allowing him full view of her profile. Handsome also saw Shemira standing next to the object of his interest, staring at him, guessing what he was thinking.' Shamira walked over to him, a smirk on her face. "'Romero's got a girlfriend, Romero's got a girlfriend,' she teased, handing him the eye-cup. "'Mistress Shamira, Pan whispered, "'let me check Master Handsome's eye. "'Stare into the crease where I'm hiding, Master Handsome. "'Dear, oh dear, an eye injury like this could be very dangerous. "'Look straight at me. "'Yes, that's right. "'Now to your left. "'Very good.' "'Now to the right. Look to the right, Master Handsome.' But Handsome didn't look where Pan told him. He was staring at Julietta. "'Wow!' Shemira laughed. "'She knows how to make you sit up and beg. She's my new hero.' Handsome gave Shemira a dirty look, then looked where Pan instructed. "'No real damage,' Pan said. "'That was a close call, Master. You must be extremely careful. Lose your sight here, and there's no helping you, period.' I've got to get back to cooking, Shimira said, and she, with Pan, walked away. Hansom's eyes started to itch again, so he closed it and lifted the glass. Put salt in it first, he heard a voice say. Hansom opened his eyes, and Julietta was standing right in front of him again, a pinch of salt between her slim fingers. He held out the cup and she put it in, stirring it with the end of a wooden spoon. We must dissolve the salt well, or it will hurt more than it needs to. Chapter Eighteen. There was a heavy banging at the door. Agostino got up and went to look out the open window. A big transport wagon pulled by four large draft horses had stopped in front of his house. One of the drivers was standing at the door. "What?" the master shouted. "Signor Agostino della la Capa?" the driver inquired. "See," sí? the master answered apprehensively. "Master de la Capella, lensmaker." See? Agostino felt a tightness in his chest. Had his creditors followed him from Florence, he wondered? Were they about to have him arrested? What do you want of me? he demanded. Delivery from Florence! Nervously, the master opened the front door. The driver and his assistant took three large wooden crates from the wagon and put them at the house's threshold. What is all this? Agostino asked. I ordered nothing. I cannot pay you. "'There is no charge to you,' the driver said, holding up some papers. "'It was all arranged in Florence by—uh, let's see here—by a priest, Father Aaron.' "'From the Holy Father?' "'Bring them in! Bring them in!' he said excitedly. "'Boys, help them!' After the delivery men left, everybody stood staring at the crates. Agostino finally took the pry bar and opened one. Under the lid was a thick bed of protective bulrush stems— Under these were many small bundles of old cloth. The master unwrapped one. A gasp escaped from his mouth. A lens blank! He continued unwrapping, blank lens after blank lens, each one giving him equal surprise. Look, master, Handsome said. On the paper the driver gave you it says manifest. It is a list of what's in the crates. You can read too? He asked with astonishment, then crossed himself for the further blessing. Handsome read out the inventory in the crates. One thousand blank lenses. The master sucked in a huge breath and had to sit down. Two hundred and fifty carved bone frames. One hundred and forty wire frames. Seventy leather frames. A great sob came from the master's breast, and he crossed himself. There's more, said Handsome. He read out that the delivery also contained five pounds of mastic, the same of iron oxide, three new brass finishing bowls, an assortment of rasps, files, and finishing instruments. By the end of the list, the master was on his knees, hands clasped together, his head bowed against the bench upon which he had been sitting. Gales of sobs roared from him. Down on your knees, children, he wailed. Do you not see what this means? Give thanks. Oh, my merciful God, oh, wonderful benefactor, give thanks, give thanks. "'Thanks! Give thanks!' Agostino cried, awash in emotion. The huge man wiped his eyes with one hand and bade everyone on their knees with the other. Both Ugolino and Giulietta got down immediately and buried their faces into their praying hands. The others followed slowly. Grazie for your abundant blessings, Jesus!' the master cried to heaven. "'I know there is a place where you live for the saintly Father Aaron. "'Oh, Jesus, he is a saint!' Yes, God, that's it. Make him a saint. Make him a saint, and he continued, saying many Hail Marys under his breath. Master de la Agostino heard Handsome say. He opened his tear-filled eyes to see his new apprentice holding a second piece of paper toward him. There's a letter from Father Aaron. Agostino waved it away. I cannot read so well. Tell me what it says. Everyone turned their expectant eyes to Handsome. It says... Dearest Brother Agostino, In faith I knew you would recover your health and vigour for life, so in faith I ordered and paid for these supplies before we left Florence. I pray you continue your good work and bring your family back to prosperity. In the love of God for man, I remain your true friend, Father Aaron. At the sound of these words, Agostino felt such a further rush of emotion that he flung himself prostrate onto the straw-covered floor. Sweet Jesus, he cried out, Father in heaven, Holy Ghost, I swear to you, if I ever betray the holy father's faith in me, may you send an angel to strike me down and burn me alive. Grazie, Father Aaron. Grazie, Father Aaron. Grazie, grazie, grazie. Julietta came over to her father and helped him up. The master sat back down on the bench and continued to sob. What's he blubbering on about now? It was the signora, awake and standing halfway down the stairs. The Holy Father sent us more supplies, Mama, Julietta explained. Another wail of emotion erupted from Agostino. Did he send more porco? Chapter Nineteen After his good cry and something to eat, Agostino felt a calm that he hadn't felt in a long time. In fact, as he looked over his household, he could see a similar contentment on everyone's faces, even the orphans. Since the eating table had been used for the business that morning, everyone ate where they could. All enjoyed the salty cured ham, the olives, the fruit, and, of course, the white pane, the better quality bread that Giulietta had bought. Lincoln took his turn on the back of the lens that he and Hansom had started. He wore the master's spectacles to protect his eyes, so he had to stand very close to his work to see anything. Ugolino turned the flywheel, constantly asking if the speed was right, if he could have a turn with the rasp, and if he should spin it the other way. Every minute or so he purposefully sped up the wheel and then howled with laughter when Lincoln complained. "'It is not a plaything!' the master bellowed several times." Inside, he felt calm. He began reviewing the list of his new supplies and making plans. Handsome sat with him, listening and offering a thought or two. Julietta went upstairs to give the Signora a bath. She soon called downstairs and asked Chimera to add a real sponge to the next shopping list. The master smiled, pleased that his woman could now have some little luxuries. Still smiling, he sent Chimera upstairs to help his daughter. Then Agostino stroked his chin with his forefinger and thumb, speaking half to Hansom, half to himself. "'With this further gift from the Holy Father, we are at least two years advanced in building financial liquidity. Perhaps I must now rethink the approach to starting out.' He smiled broadly as a thought began to take shape. "'Maybe we could take some time setting up a proper shop now.' "'Yes,' he said, smiling.' Then the men and women won't be falling over under each other all day. He shot a glance upstairs, then winked at handsome, knowing the intelligent youth knew exactly what he meant. He started explaining how they could convert the lower part of the barn to a workshop. It would take the better part of a week to put down several layers of gravel to stop it from being so muddy, remove the rotten wall boards, and replace them with new wood, and add secure windows and doors.' There will be a great many other details, but if we can get the supplies and the workmen quickly, a week should suffice. You boys will work as laborers and learn much, he said with a self-satisfied smile. Yes, a week. A week, and then our new life begins. For supper, they finished the leftovers. As the sun set, Agostino told the three boys it was time to retire to the barn. Get to sleep right away, Agostino said. I'll wake you when the sun comes up, and we will be very busy till the Sabbath. And here, he said, reaching into the bottom of one of Father Aaron's trunks, take these. Relative luxury would be the boys' lot that night, as Master de la Cappa handed them three large wool blankets. Chapter 20 Back in the loft, Hansom was wrapping himself in his new blanket, trying to ignore Ugolino's badgering. No, Ugolino, we can't go out. You heard what the master said. We've got to get up early. If I say we go, we go, Ugolino insisted. Hansom and Lincoln just ignored him and further settled into their little nests, now protected from the worst of the itchy straw by the blankets that Aramis had provided. Frustrated, Ugolino turned and slid down the ladder, leaving abruptly. As soon as Ugolino left, Pan came out, having been switched back to Handsome for the night. "'You two look rather relaxed, for ones who have had teeth broken and eyes impaled,' the hologram said. "'And look where you're sleeping.' "'Ah, it's not that bad,' Handsome replied, lying dreamily in the hay. "'Yes,' Lincoln added, as he scratched an itch. "'A sonic shower ain't everything.' "'Holy Hygieia!' Pan fretted. Are the victims complying with their oppressor's desires? The fate and honor of all genies, indeed of all puckish pranksters and hard cases everywhere, is at risk. Settle down, little guy, settle down, Hansom said, getting on one elbow. Pan, I've been thinking. Yes, young master? The two lathes we've seen are very different, and this one is so awkward. Why do they make them like that? It's not awkward to them. It's the latest technology. They don't know any different. Yes, well, can you show us a way to improve their design? To show Master De La how to make a lathe that would really make him ahead of his time? Hey, that's a zippy idea, Lincoln said. Indeed, indeed, you have been thinking, young master. Pan's eyes went wide with excitement. It's ingenious, inspiring, devious. Devious? Yes. When history camp officials from the future see us getting advanced technology to an ancient culture, they will come and stop us. You heard what Aramis said. Helping people from the past with advanced technology is against their time travel laws. It's ingenious. Well done, Master. Well, that wasn't why I... I shall find time over the next days to work with Shemira on this. "'Pan went on. "'I shall instruct her to draw up plans for an advanced lathe. "'Not too advanced, but advanced enough to make a significant impact. "'Oh, I am so excited. "'But that's not—' "'Don't be modest, master. "'You are a genius. "'A genioso. "'Pan!' "'Stop trying to argue with them,' Lincoln advised. "'Have you ever won an argument with an A.I.? "'The only way to shut them up is to go to sleep.' He pulled his pipe down over his ears and nestled down in the hay to sleep. "'It's going to be an early day tomorrow, Pan. Turn out your light!' When Pan heard Master de la Cappa in the barnyard at dawn, he woke the boys so they would be up and ready when Agostino poked his head through the opening of the loft. They were standing there, smiling at him. He watched the master chuckle appreciatively. They worked on the barn for a few hours before dinner, and Pan stayed with Handsome for the morning so he could observe the master's plan." He seems to have a natural grasp of organizational flow, Pan whispered to Handsome. During a short break, Pan whispered again, Pass me over to Mistress Shemira when you can. I must go with her and Mistress Julietta to the market, just to be safe. Later at the Piazza Bra, Pan saw that Shemira and Julietta were going to buy the same foods as they did on their previous visit. This will never do, mistress. People will become bored with the same diet, and besides, preparing a variety of foods can be very creative. Pan advised Chimera on what to buy, and at the house told her how to cook varied and healthily balanced dishes, which everyone would appreciate. Chimera found the ruse fun. The next morning Pan dictated a menu for the whole week. "'Carmela,' Julietta said as she watched Shemira writing. "'You are so clever and know so much. "'I am very happy to have you as my friend.' "'I'm happy to have you as a friend too, Jewel,' Shemira said. "'Come on, let's get shopping. "'You carry the list and check it off.' "'Well done, mistress,' Penn whispered. "'You are a good teacher.' Included on the shopping list were a few extra cooking implements, a new skillet, some wooden spoons, and a grate with short legs to be put over the fire. Then Shamira suggested they buy some extra wooden bowls, so everyone at the table would have their own. Julietta held her breath, frozen at the thought of the extravagance. Shamira smiled slyly as she said, I'm sure Romero would appreciate not having to share his bowl with Ugolino. The two girls giggled and agreed to do it. That night, Pan noticed the master's look when he saw the additional place settings. He said nothing except to meet his daughter's expectant eyes with a little nod of approval. "'Hey, we are living like princes now,' Ugolino said, and he nudged Handsome with the shoulder. "'Now you can't steal my share of the food anymore.' Everyone laughed. Chapter 21 Pan spent his time among the three teens— observing, advising, and keeping an eye out for their safety. But he was also curious. "'I find it fascinating, young masters,' Pan said to the two boys when nobody else was around, "'how you both seem to be so cheery, despite the odd circumstances you find yourselves in. Did you ever work this hard physically back home?' "'No way,' Lankin said. When Pan asked why, the answer was, "'I don't know.' Handsome reflected for a few moments. "'Back home there was no real need for the individual to do things,' he said finally. "'At least, it didn't appear so. "'But this, this work is going to make a big difference to everybody in the family.' "'Yeah,' Lincoln agreed. "'And it's fun to work a bit and actually see the results.' "'Well, young masters, I am truly impressed.' Pan whispered. In such a short time, all the old rotten planks have been pulled off the lower portion of the barn, and you've piled it all up neatly for firewood. Yeah, we can do anything, Lincoln bragged. We're Superman. Can you imagine working like this for the rest of your lives? Pan asked. This question caused the boys some pause. Hmm. I guess you've got us there, Pan, Handsome said. To be honest, maybe we're finding all this fun because we know it's not forever. Yeah, agreed Lincoln, but after we go home, maybe Aramis could arrange it so we can come back and visit. It's actually kind of interesting. Just then the master called to the boys. He and Ugolino were coming down the lane with a big heavy wheelbarrow. It was piled with shovels and rakes with large wooden peg teeth. The master said that now that the interior of the barn was exposed, the next task was to remove the worst of the muck and filth from the floor. It was to be replaced with layers of gravel to improve drainage. If the mucked looked like decent soil or humus, they were to take it over to the Satori's garden. Pan chuckled inside his lamp as he watched Handsome and Lincoln struggle through the shoveling and how they could hardly move the wooden wheelbarrow when it was full. "'Okay, Superman,' Pan whispered to Lincoln. "'Make sure you keep your back straight and use your legs when you lift. "'If you hurt your back in this century, you could be injured for life.' And once, when Pan found Lincoln standing on a rickety box trying to help lift a beam into place, he scolded him again. "'You don't want to break a bone in this century. "'An infection could kill if your inoculation implant expires.' On the fourth and fifth days... The boys helped the carpenters the master had hired replace the large barn door with a single entrance door and two shuttered windows on either side of it for light. It reminded the boys of the first workshop. A few stalls at the back were kept for when the master could afford to buy some livestock. On the sixth day, it was just finishing work. Pan stayed with Shamira to advise her on a good nutritious meal. At dinner, he saw a very tired Lincoln drag himself into the house and lay his head on the table. He even chewed his bread with his eyes closed. Shemira and Handsome weren't much better. Ugolino laughed at them and looked very chipper. "'How can you be so happy when you work all day and are out all night?' Handsome asked. "'Good food,' Ugolino said, smiling. Grazie, master!' "'So, boys,' the master continued, "'we finish early today. Everyone has worked hard. Our new shop is finished but empty.' "'After we eat, all that's left is to put our equipment into the shop. "'Then, tomorrow—' "'A groan elicited forth from the tired teenagers. "'The master laughed. "'Tomorrow is a day of rest. "'It is God's day. "'It is the Sabbath.' "'Yeah!' they all cheered. "'Hooray for God!' Lincoln said weakly, his head still on the table. "'Hey!' the master shouted. "'But Lincoln could not raise his head. "'He was too tired.' Without even opening his eyes, he said, Sorry, Master, and fell asleep. You've come to the end of this installment of The Lens and the Looker. We hope you enjoyed it. To find out how to get the other installments, go to com. That's l o r y k a u f m a n dot com.